Uh, today we're finally getting out of chapter one. Whew, six weeks in Mark chapter one. It's been a great journey so far in just these first uh, chapter of Mark. So turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter one, and we're going to look at verses twenty-one through thirty-four this morning. And let's uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll read God's word together. Lord, we just uh, ask for your blessing on your word, not only as we read it, but Lord, as I preach it this morning. God, your word is powerful. I pray that it would divide uh, our very heart and mind down to the deepest places of our heart, that we might see our desperate need for you, God, and that you would show us, Lord, that you have all the answers for us. And Jesus, you indeed are the answer for our greatest questions and our greatest struggles. Lord, would you show us this morning your magnitude and your power and your glory, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. Hear now God's word. You know what? Did I say 21? Yes, I meant 29. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 1, 29 through 41. I'm sorry. My bad. Mark chapter 1, 29 through 41. Here we go. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he he came, took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Just, just i got to stop here. And the missions committee will know. I see some of them smiling. I, don't, we, we, I won't have time to really cover all of this this morning, but that phrase right there, if you want to know how to pray for missions, and you want to, you want to know how to pray for expectation of God's mission in the world, and even in Botetourt County, Pray that, that, Lord, the whole city would gather at the door of Wellspring. Wouldn't that be a great prayer? Wouldn't that be neat to see Botetourt County? You know, we got, what, 10 acres here to have, I don't know how many people, 60,000 people here on our property. How radical would that be? Pray for it, that the whole city would gather at the door. So just put that little nudge for you to pray, to know how to pray. Lord, would you gather the whole city at the door, not to see Pastor Stephen or a beautiful building, but to see the glories of Jesus. So anyway, okay, we'll keep reading. Sermon over, sermonette over. Verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, some versions say moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter or every area of the town. Well, let me remind us this morning as we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark that all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written, right, as eyewitness accounts of Jesus. Got to understand that. 
These gospels were eyewitnesses accounts of Jesus. They were written down when the apostles and the first generation of Christians were dying off. That's when these gospels were written. So these gospels were given to us as a gift to have this forever, forever, ever access to the real Jesus. And so that's why we're going through the gospel of Mark verse by verse for the most part is to rediscover the real Jesus. So this morning, we're going to learn three things about Jesus from this passage. Firstly, we're going to see the, the fullness of Jesus' interior life with His Father. Secondly, we're going to see His comprehensive ministry to others. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. The first time I'm going to go to the doctor here in Botetourt County, and it's comprehensive family care. You know, it's like they're going to take care of all of Stephen, if you will. So I guess in, the, in a way, this morning, we're going to see this comprehensive ministry of Jesus. And then the third thing we'll see this morning is then how can we grow in character and in the power that uh, Jesus had in his ministry? So let's take a, a look at a couple of the verses this morning that Mark begins to tell us about this fullness of the interior life Jesus had with his Father. Verse 35 through 39, what does Mark tell us Jesus did? He, after an intense season of ministry, he goes out very early in the morning. Most commentators think that was probably around 3 30 or 4 a.m. in the morning. Kids, y'all get up that early? Christmas Day, you probably do, don't you? <laughs> but early in the morning, 3 to 4.30 in the morning, it's still dark. He goes out and Jesus departs to a desolate place where he prayed. Simon and those who are with him, they search for Jesus and say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And then Jesus says, let us go out to the next towns that I may preach also. Now you notice uh, this morning, we looked at chapter 1 a few weeks ago, right? And if you see how the development of the beginning of chapter 1 to the, to the end of chapter 1 we have the small crowds, Jesus, small crowds, smaller group of folks following Jesus in the first part of chapter 1. But as we get to the end of chapter 1, what does it say? That the whole city gathers at the door of Jesus. So we'll see that more and more, and you'll see this as, you be, as we continue to study Mark, that the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger as Jesus' ministry progresses. So everyone's wanting to see Jesus, right? And Simon Peter comes up and says, Jesus, where have you been? He's away praying alone with his father. Peter comes running up, and you can almost just see Peter going, hey, oh, sorry. You know, it's almost like he's interrupting Jesus' time with his father. And he says, Jesus, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. And look at Jesus' response to this. You know, this has been an, an extreme time of busyness for Jesus. The opportunities for him are off the chart, right? He's so busy, incredible popularity. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Now, his, our response to, to Peter would probably be very different if, if we were in Jesus' shoes. What happens normally to us when you have an incredible time of busyness in your life? You're incredibly stressed. You have a lot going on. You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. What do you normally do? Do you, do you typically, and just be honest, in your, in your mind, typically is your default response to get alone with the Lord, quiet before the Lord, or is it to get busier and try to manage things even more? I'll, I'll be honest. My default response really is to get busier and busier and busier. Or just to tune out, right? You know, that's cable TV, you know. <laughs> uh, 50 channels or what. We just begin to tune out. But Jesus' default response right, right here when life was so busy for him he gets away before the Lord and he goes to this quiet place of solitude in the wilderness. But for us, when things get busy, busy, typically time with the Lord gets squeezed out and we pursue more opportunity and busyness. And it's clear as you read the Gospels that the busiest 
The busier that Jesus gets, the more he prays. So this morning I want us to see two quick things about prayer. The first thing is this, is the priority of prayer. It's pretty simple. We can draw that from the passage this morning. Look what Mark says, that Jesus got up early in the morning, and Mark tells us that he went to a desolate place. Now that word desolate, other versions of the Bible say solitary place. It's the same word that we looked at a few weeks ago earlier in the chapter when Jesus was being baptized in the wilderness. That word for wilderness and that word for desolate place are the same word in the, in the Greek language. So Jesus wasn't out in some picturesque, you know, beautiful, cozy spot out in the mountains hiking the trail and he's in this beautiful overlook like McAfee's Knob looking out over the valley and praying. He is in the wilderness. He's in the desert to pray. And so from time to time, his disciples, they woke up and, and they, they go to look for Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus had been with the Father for a couple of hours. He's spending hours in prayer and his disciples come and look for him, interrupting him. So Jesus was spending hours in prayer. Now what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, as you read that, and it made me realize this, how flawed and how weak of a person I am. That when life gets so busy and I get so stressed, my typical default reaction is not to be alone with the Lord, but it's often to tune out or, or even to get busier. So if Jesus thought He needed more extended and focused and restful time with the Father, how much more do we need it, folks? Isn't that true? How much more do we need the busier we get? The busier Jesus got the more time he spent with his father. So Jesus is in the middle of all of this work, all of this opportunity. He was about to change the world this time in history, and yet he still thought prayer was more important. And prayer was more vital to his work of ministry than, he, than just being busy. He would not allow that vital connection, his inner life with his father, to be squeezed out. And that needs to be a huge priority for us. And as I've even preached this, I feel guilt creeping over me. Prayer is a huge priority for us as believers. Huge priority. The priority of prayer. Nothing else was more important to Jesus. Really, for us believers, nothing else is important for us. Prayer was the highest priority for Him. Time with His Father was the highest priority. Not changing the world, but time with His Father was the highest priority. And then the second thing we learn about prayer is, is the DNA, if you will, of what prayer really is. What was the DNA here of Jesus' prayer? Now, as we look at these verses about Jesus and His prayer, it doesn't really tell us the content of what Jesus was praying. But think about it, though. You remember the time later on in the Gospels when the disciples come to Jesus, and, and it's almost like they're jealous. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, the disciples of, of John, John taught his disciples how to pray. You haven't taught us how to pray yet. Would you teach us how to pray, Jesus? I almost think they're a little bit jealous. Like, John taught his disciples. Won't you teach us how to pray, Jesus? So they come to Jesus and they ask him how to pray. And how does Jesus teach him how to pray? I mentioned that this morning to the children. What does Jesus say? The Lord's Prayer, right? He teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Uh, think about this. What is, what is Jesus in Mark chapter 14 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane? The very first words out of his mouth are what? Father. So, so Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And as you look through all of the Gospels, you'll see time and time again that Jesus starts out his prayer with the simple word, Father. So we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Jesus prays that throughout the Gospels, Father. He's actually saying in, in the Aramaic form of, of the Greek word Father, it literally could be translated the word Papa. 
That's right, I saw some of y'all mouthing it. You already know this. Papa, Father, Abba, Daddy. It's like a very intimate name of a father. Just like a child who runs up, Papa, you know? My best friend Tim, his children call him Papa. I think it's kind of unusual, but I think it's really sweet too because it's such an endearing, intimate term. So Jesus is teaching us to pray, saying, Papa, Father. And for some of you, that's startlingly shocking and almost a little too intimate because the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is Father. So what does this mean? The essence of prayer is not give us our daily stuff, is it? The essence of prayer is not give us our daily stuff or the essence of prayer is forgive us for our sins or our wrongdoing. What comes first in prayer? The DNA of prayer, the DNA of Jesus' prayer, what comes first? Father comes first. What comes first is not requests, but orientation. Okay, I stole this from Tim Keller. What comes first? Requests? No. What comes first? Orientation. Father comes first, not requests. Orientation. You being oriented to God. Do you all know this prayer acrostic uh, acts? You ever heard of that before? It's adoration, right? Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? Everybody's used that. I think it's a great acrostic to teach us how to pray. But I would say, after studying this, that it really should be O acts, orientation first, then adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We have to be oriented to who God is first. That is the essence of prayer, beloved. The essence of prayer, the beginning of prayer is being oriented back to who God is as a father. That's what prayer really is about. Presley and I, years ago, went through this um, discipleship course called Sonship. We met with a counselor on the phone every two weeks. Oh, man, it was such a blessing for us to go through that. Our, our counselor, his name was Richard. And for the first few lessons, Richard would tell us, here's how I want you to pray. And, you know, I thought, well, I have my pen ready, ready to write down all the things that Richard was going to tell us we needed to pray for, we needed to get right in our lives and in our marriage and whatever. It's like, you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Pray, Father. That's it? Yeah, just Father. <clears throat> Tapped in, had the phone. Hello, you still there? <laughs> Father. That's, just, that's all I want you to pray, is to get before the Lord and you just cry out, Father. 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 I thought it was a little weird. Be honest, it's like, oh man, this guy's a little kooky. Might be one from those kooky churches, you know. But no, he was spot on. It's or it's all about orientation. Father, Father, Father. You see, it's not wrong. And I almost felt like that was wrong. I almost felt like it was a little bit disrespectful, maybe even unbiblical. But it's not disrespectful, and oh, certainly is it not unbiblical. In fact, it is utterly biblical. Biblical that the Father, the God of the universe, the infinite God who's perfect who is infinite in his perfections and holiness and in his glory, Jesus tells us to call him Father. The God of the universe is your Father. He is your Papa. He is your Daddy. Jesus tells us to address him as Father, this tender, loving Father. Wellspring, is this how you pray? Beloved, is this how you pray? Is it how you pray? Maybe think about it this way, and, and if you don't have kids, you're not married, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to leave you out in my illustration, but I think this, you really will get this if you have kids or you have grandbabies. If you have babies, if you have children, parents, isn't your happiness inextricably tied to your children's happiness or your grandchildren's happiness? Isn't it? 
Right? You know, if your babies come home from school and they are unhappy, you're kind of unhappy, aren't you? Your babies, they come home from school and they're disappointed because somebody said something to them or hurt their feelings. Man, you're ready to go and kick some tail at school, aren't you? You're like, let me show that kid something. You know, I mean, you want to protect them. You're, you know, they're disappointed. You feel disappointed. They're, they're celebrating. They're content. You feel celebrating. You're, you're content for them. If that's the case, man, and, and we're selfish, broken human parents and people, how much more in Christ, God who has become your father is lovingly committed to you. It's true. How much more through Christ is God committed to you that he delights in your contentment? He delights in your joys. He is sorrowful in your disappointments. It's true. He is not annoyed with you, folks. You need, some of you need to hear that this morning. God is not annoyed with you. And we live our lives often feeling like God's just, he's tired of me, he's frustrated with me, he's annoyed with me. He's not. He is your father. He is your papa. You see, this is what Jesus is going after, and this is what he was longing for. You know, just a few verses back, a few weeks ago, and literally in the time span of Mark chapter 1, it probably only been a few weeks, and Jesus is doing all of this intense ministry, and he's thinking back a few weeks ago when he was baptized, and the what does the Father speak to him? You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what Jesus is thinking about as he's going back in this solitary place in the desert to be alone. He is longing for more of hearing that, Father, I need to hear that again, that I am your beloved Son and you love me and, and you are well pleased with me. That's what Jesus was longing for. His Father spoke infinite love into Jesus' life. You are my Son. I cherish you. So when Jesus is praying in the wilderness, he's back for more of that. You see, the real engine of Jesus' life, the power of Jesus' life, the rocket fuel that empowered him in his ministry was what Jack Miller said, the joy of his sonship. Got to get that. Beloved, hear this. The, the motivation for your Christian life is not a to-do list. It's not bootstrap Christianity. While well, my other people are doing this, I better do this and look good doing it. It's not that. The motivation for you to serve, to love, to be a member of Wellspring is not to do. The motivation is the joy of your sonship or your daughtership in God, your orientation. It's your heart is turned towards the Father. That's your motivation. That's where your motivation comes from. you got to get this. Jesus goes back to this ori orientation and joy every day. He, his heart is seared with it. And that's what give Jesus, gives Jesus joy and power to handle his ministry. So we see in this first point that prayer was the absolute foundation of Jesus' life. And the purpose of prayer was not to get things from God, but to get God. You see that? J.C. Ryle said that communion and intimacy with our Father is the pulse of the Christian life, he says. Well, that's the, the fullness of this interior life that Jesus had with his Father. So how do we get this confidence that Jesus had? How, does, how do we get this confidence? Okay, Jesus, you're telling me that I am to address the God of the universe as Father. How can I know that God is a Father? How can I relate to God as a Father? Well, let's keep moving forward as we see the, the, the we saw the fullness of his interior life. Let's see, secondly, the, the comprehensive ministry that Jesus had to others. Now, in Luke chapter 4, that's the parallel passage to the passage that we're looking at this morning. Luke 4 talks about this. Jesus had been doing a lot of ministry like we saw this morning as we read. He's busy with tons of people. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. 
Luke tells us that Jesus goes out to pray just like Mark did and his disciples to go and look for him. But Luke, chapter 4, Luke adds this detail that Mark doesn't have. Luke says, and the people were looking for them, Jesus and the disciples, and they tried to keep Jesus from leaving. Mark doesn't tell us that, but Luke adds that detail. that The people came looking for Jesus, and when they found him, they said, Jesus, please don't leave us. Please stay and, and do ministry here to us. And this gives us a little clue as to why Jesus needed to pray. Because the people of that area that Jesus was doing ministry were asking for two things. First of all, they were saying, Jesus, stay here. Jesus, we need you to stay here. Please don't leave us. You can meet all of our needs, Jesus. You can be our personal genie, Jesus. You ever see that show, I Dream of Genie, right? I'm sorry, I lost you if you're below 30. But, you know, it's the bottle, and, you, and you'd rub the bottle, and the genie would pop out, and you could make a wish, right? Or three wishes, or in that case, unlimited wishes. The people were almost saying, Jesus, we want you to stay here. Be our personal genie, Jesus, Right? We want you to do what we want for us, what we need to be done. And so they want to put Jesus in a bottle and rub that bad boy whenever they need something done, right? Whenever they have a problem because, Jesus, you stay here because you can solve all of our problems. And then the second thing they ask for is that meet our needs by your miraculous deeds, Jesus. Meet our needs by doing your miraculous deeds. We want you to be the genie genius with unlimited wishes. But Jesus, after prayer and communion with his Father, what does he say? He says, no, I'm not going to be genie Jesus to you. No, I have to keep on moving. I've got to minister to everyone else. But more importantly, he says, I am not going to just meet the needs that you know you have, right? Genie Jesus, I'm sick, I have a hurt leg, whatever, my, my aunt's liver is failing, I don't know, you know, be my genie Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I am not going to just meet the needs you know you need or you have. More importantly, I'm going to meet the needs that you don't know you have. Jesus says, I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to call people to be converted. I am not just going to feed the hungry and feed the sick. Sick. You remember a few weeks ago as we looked at Jesus' message when he preached, the message of his sermon was repent, right, and believe the good news. What he's talking about there is that's the ministry of the word. And Jesus is telling this crowd, he's telling them that you need more than just healing. You need more than just food to eat. Folks, you need to be converted, Jesus says. Repent and believe because there are things that you know about your hunger or your lameness, but there are things that are far deeper of an issue in your life that you don't know about. And Jesus would not be loving if he did not meet those deeper needs as well. You see, people didn't want to hear it. Where's the genie Jesus? We want genie Jesus. We don't need this other stuff, Jesus. I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. You're crazy, Jesus. I got a lame leg, but I'm good. You healed it, I'm good. People don't want to hear the greatest need is that they need to repent and believe. People don't want to continually face our sin. That's why I read Psalm 51 this morning. I, I personally don't want to continually face my sin. I don't know about you, but it's hard, isn't it? I don't want to be told that I'm wrong. I don't want to be told by my spouse that I'm wrong. I don't want to be told by friends that I've blown it. That's no fun, is it? You know, if, if I were to write a book, kind of the, the book about you know, how often I present myself, it would probably be titled something like this, How to Be Right, Look Good, and Make Others Pay Who Get in Your Way. Isn't it true? How to be right, how to look good, and make others pay who get in your way. Isn't that sad? It's like, oh, what a depressing title, but it's true. It often defines the way my heart really is. I want to be right. I want to look good, and man, if you get in my way, I'm going to make you pay. 
that's real need, folks. That's what Jesus is coming after. People didn't want to know that they had a leprosy of heart. And that's what leads us to this next part of the story. Because Jesus insists on calling people to personal conversion. That they see themselves as sinners and for them to see that they desperately need him. But then he also wants to meet their physical needs as well. So that moves us to this next story. A man with leprosy, he comes to Jesus and said, if you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And Jesus tells him, I am willing, be clean. And the leprosy left him and he was cured. You see, leprosy back then wasn't just a disease. This is crucial for us to understand this. Leprosy wasn't just a skin condition. Leprosy is still, you know, you can look this up on on the internet. It's still an issue in many developing and third world countries. People still get leprosy which is caused by just a bacteria. Uh, Actually, antibiotics can totally wipe it out. But people, to this day, still get leprosy. And it wasn't, back then, in biblical times, it wasn't just a disease. It was this total body-slash-life condition. You were physically, uh, socially, and spiritually just cut off. Because, you know, leprosy, the physical aspects of leprosy were horrible. It, it, It caused sores. Uh, It's really a degenerative nerve disease. And so... If it's not treated, your nerve endings die, and so you lose feeling, right? And so people who lost limbs or or whatever, leprosy didn't cause your hand to fall off. You would burn your hand on a fire, and you wouldn't feel it. You had no clue that your hand was on fire. And that injury in of itself, with no treatment back then, would cause gangrene, and then limbs would fall off. So it was a horrible disease. You lost all feeling in your hands and in your body. So not only, though, was the physical part about it bad, Maybe even worse than the physical side of it was the social side of leprosy. If you had leprosy, it was a sentence. It was like a sentence pronounced from a judge that you're guilty and you're going to jail. That kind of sentence is what I mean. Leprosy wasn't a disease. It was a sentence. You were ostracized socially. You were exiled from your loved ones, from your family, from your friends socially. And in fact, Leprosy was somewhat contagious, but they thought back then they didn't understand medicine. They thought it was so contagious that they literally separated you from your friends. They separated you from your family. They separated you out of your community, and you were sent out into the desolate places, the wilderness, to the lonely places where it was complete social isolation. And a matter of fact, if you were a leper and you came near to an inhabited place, you, by law, religious and uh, social law, how to shout as loudly as you could, unclean, unclean, I am unclean. And because the Jews uh, viewed these folks as unclean from the standpoint of Jewish law, they, they weren't even allowed to worship. So you could have been a devoted follower of God in the synagogue, worshiping every week and been a great father and a great family leader and a great community leader. And then you caught leprosy and literally you were cut off from everything that you had known and weren't even allowed to worship in public. But it even gets crazier than this. Not only were the lepers prohibited from being in inhabited places, not only were they not allowed to be in worship, but they weren't even allowed to be in in places, you know, say, a mile away from people sitting under a shade tree. Get this. Under Jewish rabbinical law, if you read this in, in what they have called the Mishnah, it says this. Just this is how crazy this was. And it goes to show you how ostracized and exiled they were. That a leper could not even stand under the shade of a shade tree. Because 
say, here's a shade tree, and the leper comes, and he stands under the shade of the shade tree for half an hour, right, enjoying the shade, not touching the tree physically, just being in the shade, and then he walks away, and then someone who is clean, who doesn't have leprosy, comes and stands in that same shade and doesn't physically touch the tree, guess what? That person who stood in the shade has become unclean. And they have to go through all this ritual process to be made clean again so that they could come back to worship. That's how lepers were treated. It was this death sentence, almost worse than a death sentence, if you will. And this leper who comes to Jesus needed a comprehensive salvation. He didn't just need his leprosy healed. He needed his whole life to be brought back in line again. He needed this comprehensive salvation. So let's look at his request from Jesus. He says, Jesus... If you are willing, make me clean. Now clean, it it meant to be clean before God. It meant to be clean before his community. It meant to be clean or healed from this actual disease. He knew that he needed it all. This comprehensive salvation. And Jesus gives it to him. This is scandalous, folks. You've got to get the scandal here. Jesus reaches out and touches him. He reaches out and touches them. Now, we just saw that you can't even be in the shade under a shade tree where the leper had stood 30 minutes before without being pronounced unclean. And yet Jesus physically reaches out and touches this guy. That's scandalous. He touches the leprous sores on his body. And why does he touch him? Couldn't have Jesus healed this leper with one word without touching him to make himself Jesus unclean? Sure. Jesus could have just stood from a 10-yard distance and said, Sir, be clean. And the guy could have been immediately healed, what was the motivation for Jesus to physically touch this guy and give him this comprehensive salvation? Well, Mark gives us the clue. It's right here in this verse, filled with compassion. ESV says filled with pity. The NIV says filled with compassion. I like that, filled with compassion. The word literally means from the depths of his being, Jesus was filled with compassion and he heals this guy. Sinclair Ferguson said this, you see, He said, you see, by Jesus touching this man, Jesus was really saying, I am prepared to become by choice what you are by nature. Isn't that powerful? I am becoming prepared to become by choice what you, leper, are by nature. And this is the way that we're called to give our life away freely for the sake of others. But how do we do this? How do we get to this level of of going into some situation that's so unclean and bringing cleanness to it. How do we get there? Well, the example is right here for us with this leper. Notice what he asks of Jesus. He says, if you... Now, why didn't he just say, Jesus, please make me clean? But he starts out his request with, if you... Hear this. The leper says, if you... If you make the scandalous offer of unconditional service to Jesus, like the leper did... If you make this scandalous offer, Jesus, if you are willing to make me clean, I am offering all of myself to you, Jesus. If we make the scandalous offer of unconditional service to Jesus, we will see the scandalous offer of unconditional love from Jesus. And that will change you forever. You see that? If we, the leprous folks, if we make the scandalous offer of unconditional service to Jesus, then we will begin to see from him the scandalous offer of unconditional love. See, first of all, we have to make this scandalous offer of unconditional service. Look at what this leper does. He comes to Jesus on his knees and says, if you can make me clean. Wow, do you realize the the risk that this leper was taking? 
all social laws, all religious laws are barring him from even coming into an inhabited place, even getting near anybody, uh, any people, any public place. He wasn't allowed to come in any populous place. This guy walks right through the crowds. He comes and right, Mark tells us that a crowd was surrounding Jesus. Luke tells us crowds were surrounding Jesus. So this guy would have had to weave his way through the crowds. And he gets down on his knees, breaks every religious and social law of the day, and he's at Jesus' mercy. you got to get this. He's at Jesus' mercy, right? He put a big risk because he could have come to Jesus, got down on his knees and says, Jesus, if you're willing to make me clean, and there, would have been, there could have been silence. Jesus could have not healed him. And then what would have happened to this guy? He would have likely been dragged off by the crowd and probably been beaten and stoned to death. So he is putting his life on the line breaking every social code in the book, and he comes to Jesus. So it's scandalous that he even comes to Jesus. But it's even more scandalous than what he says. If you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. Notice he doesn't say, make me clean, Jesus. You have to do this, Jesus. You've got to make me clean because I've risked everything to come to you today in my life even. But he doesn't demand that Jesus make him clean, does he? He says, if you see fit, Jesus... If you see fit, you can make me clean, Jesus, but I will be willing to do whatever. If you make me clean, but whatever, Jesus, I'm willing to do whatever. I trust you, Jesus. I have thrown myself at your mercy, Jesus, but I am not going to tell you what I need. I throw myself at your mercy, but I'm not going to tell you what I need, Jesus. I refuse to define my own needs, Jesus. I, I will not tell you what to do, but if you are willing, I respectfully ask you to make me clean. See the difference there? He's not demanding. He's not trying to control the situation like we try to do. He's not trying to define his own needs to his genie Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, if you truly are the Lord of the world, the Lord of this reality, then I give up the right to define my needs. God, if you really are who you say you are through your word, I define my right. To def- I give up my right to define my needs. The right to live my life, my life, the way I see fit. I put myself unconditionally at your service, Jesus. What if we started to live our lives like that way? Seriously. What if you started to live your life as a follower of Jesus by saying, you know what? I give up my right to define my life. So it's, God, it's yours, God. I give up my right to define how my children should turn out. I give up my right to define how much money I should make. I give up my right to define what comfort looks like for me in in 20 years from now in retirement. I give up my right to define my life. Do you realize how scandalous this would be to our community if you began to live your life like this? You would become a leper, wouldn't you? Socially, yeah, you would. You'd be a leper. Are you willing to be a leper? Are you willing to be a leper? Are you willing to make this scandalous offer of unconditional service to Jesus, Jesus, if you are willing? If you're willing. But I can't just stop here. Because that in and of itself will not change you. That in and of itself doesn't have the power just to offer your life an unconditional service to Jesus. That's just one side of the equation. The other side is this that we have to spend our life gazing at the scandalous offer of love that Jesus gives us, His unconditional love for us. 
Because you see what this leper does in and of itself, coming to Jesus, taking this huge risk, is, is amazing, right? But really, what Jesus does is even more amazing. Or maybe really what Jesus doesn't do is, is what's so amazing. Because think about this. All the other religions throughout history have said, how do you get to heaven? All other religions in history have said, the way for you to get to heaven is to stay away from the dirty, to stay away from the unclean, to stay away from things that will stain you. You've got to keep your nose clean and live a good life, follow the rules, and then maybe you'll get to heaven. Think about this. Throughout history up to this very moment, whenever clean and unclean got together, the clean always became unclean, right? That's what happened. Up to this point in history, in this story, whenever the clean and the unclean got together, the unclean always stained the clean. But suddenly Jesus touches this leper and says, Sir, you can go. You are clean. Go and and wash yourself. Do all the ceremonial things that you need to do. Go and see a priest. Because back then the priests were the public health officers. They could verify that you had been healed. They could verify that you had been clean. And then they would give you a ticket of health and and welcome you back into the community. So Jesus says, it's a loving thing for Jesus to send this guy to the ceremonial priest because he wants this guy to be officially deemed clean so he can be welcomed back into his community. But what about Jesus? Jesus had touched this guy. He had reached out his long arm of compassion, touched this guy. And Jesus doesn't go and do all this stuff to make him ritually clean again, does he? You see, the first time in history, the clean and the unclean have met. And the unclean has become clean. Do you see the difference? For the first time in history, the unclean and the clean have met. And the unclean has become clean. And here's what Jesus is saying. By not going to the priest himself and doing all the ritual stuff to be restored, Jesus is saying, I don't need to do that because I am cleanliness, Jesus says. I don't care who you are, he's saying. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. I don't care how utterly inadequate you feel. You can be made clean. You see, Jesus and his salvation is comprehensive. Your past, the things that you've done that you're so afraid of and you're so shameful for, you can be made clean. First time in history, the unclean can be made clean. If you were to boil all this down, here's what's happened. Jesus was trading places with the leper. Not just the clean becoming unclean to restore the leper, but notice, what does the leper do? He disregards what Jesus says. Jesus gives him this strong command to to not go and tell anybody to go to the priest, do what you need to do ceremonially, and then you'll be made clean, but don't tell anybody what I've done. What does the guy do? He does the opposite, right? He goes and he tells everyone. Why does this matter? You see, Jesus takes this guy's sentence. Jesus takes away this guy's burden and comprehensively restores him. But then the leper goes and begins to broadcast the news to everybody, and the result of that is what? Mark tells us that Jesus could no longer openly enter into a town, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Wow. Think about this. Mark began the story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside, didn't he? The leper was on the outside. Jesus was on the inside track. But what happens? This great exchange. The unclean becomes clean. And they swap places. Jesus is now on the outside. 
and the leper is on the inside. Jesus is now numbered with the lepers so that the outcast can be free, restored, and the gospel, we can be gospel restorers to all those around us because he traded places. You know, this really is, in some ways, a great dynamic for us on knowing how to do ministry. You have been made clean because of Jesus, right? It's nothing you've done. It's not your spiritual pedigree. It's not how many Bible verses you've memorized. It's not because you studied the shorter catechism when you were a kid. You have been made clean because Jesus transferred. He took your uncleanness and gave you his cleanliness, his cleanness. And he was cast out, as Hebrew tells us, he was cast out to the outside and desolate places and died on a cross for your sin. So what does ministry look like to Botetourt County? It means going into the unclean places. Not being afraid of going into the unclean places. Because nothing's going to make you unclean. You're clean because of Jesus. So, so don't stay away from the, oh, I can't go to these unclean places. They'll make me dirty. <laughs> no. We're called to go to the unclean places and be gospel restorers, if you will. The good news that Jesus makes the unclean clean. Some of you here today, maybe you feel like there are things that you've done or things that you said or thought that you just, there's no way I can be forgiven. I have a, you're carrying around a death sentence on yourself. Nobody else is pronouncing it, but maybe just yourself. Your own conscience is pronouncing every day death sentence after death sentence after death sentence. Loser sentence after loser sentence after loser sentence. I'm ashamed sentence. I'm ashamed sentence. I'm ashamed sentence. You can be clean. That sentence is wiped away and forgiven through Christ. If you just trust him. If you would like this leper, if fall on your knees, if you're willing, Jesus, make me clean. And he reaches out his arms of compassion and says, oh, I am more than willing. I'm not annoyed with you. I love you. I am your creator. I am the creator of the universe. And I love you. Let me make you clean if you would just trust him. Let me pray for us. Lord, there's a lot here this morning, but I pray that, Holy Spirit, I, I have to trust you. <laughs> Boy, do I have to trust you every minute of the day. I pray that, that some of these things that were said would stick into our hearts, Lord, and transform us. That, Lord, we would see that, um, oh, God, forgive us for our unbelief that you can't clean us, you can't forgive us, that we've done too much, we've gone too far. You can and you will if we would just trust you. And Lord, for those of us who are prideful and self-absorbed and afraid to go into those unclean places and, and be gospel restorers, Lord, would you help us? Would you maybe walk, help us to walk over to our neighbors and be gospel restorers to them? Maybe to enter into that shouting match of a marriage and be the face of Jesus to them. Maybe to enter into the filth and disgust of our boss who... <clears throat> wants to show us awful stuff on the internet, that, Lord, we wouldn't avoid them, but, Lord, instead we would be gospel restorers because we have been made clean by the, the one who is cleanness, the one who loves us. Father, help us. And, Lord, help us to long to be with the Father. Teach us, Lord, what it means to be oriented in prayer, not to just pray for requests and needs. That's okay, but, Lord, more than anything, help us to first start with orientation, that you are our Father, 
Lord, help us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing our.